Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Strategic partnerships are an essential building block when it comes to making a positive impact and implementing important talent and HR programs. They are also tricky to establish sometimes because of the sheer range of people and opinions and perspectives that a talent leader might encounter for a single initiative. So what's an approach that can work across personalities and industries? Listen to this episode for some inspiration and ideas from a talent leader who excels in the art of connection. My guest is Plessy Ramirez. She's the director of HR at Conservation Halton. Plessy brings deep experience in HR and a passion for learning. Prior to Conservation Halton, she held leadership roles at Chartwell Retirement, Walmart Canada, and the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Plessy's the kind of person who you meet and you just know right away that you can trust her. She brings a calm, grounded, and thoughtful perspective that I know you'll appreciate. I've had the pleasure of working with Plessy in a couple of different contexts, and I always come away from our interactions grateful for our connection. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, Plessy Ramirez. Plessy and I have a bit of a history having worked together briefly a few years back. She is currently the Director of Human Resources for Conservation Halton. Previous to that, she spent time in leadership roles at Walmart and at Hospital for Sick Kids. Plessy is one of the most kind, compassionate, and smart people I know. And I am sure you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So with that, I'd like to welcome you, Plezzy. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Lisa. It's an honor to be here. Maybe we could start off with with you telling us a little bit about how you fell into human resources and talent. What 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 brought you to this field? Sure. I actually, you know, think back the match and finding my way in HR. And I actually have to go back to my first co-op. I was placed in a HR, not quite exactly knowing what I wanted to do with my career. And while I was there, I was focused on, you know, typical co-op student work, filing and other admin duties. But I was just really a sponge and I was around some brilliant, talented women in that department. I really admired the, the people I was working with. And, I, and one of the things I admired was their ability to work at a very fast pace and some very sort of high intense situations, but then quickly shift to an empathetic approach and shift to helping an employee with a question or a sensitive issue. And so really piqued my interest. And, and I found that a lot of what I was observing and learning at the time was aligned with my own personality. And, and so that need for social interaction, helping others. And so I decided to pursue it further in school and and that's really how I how I started in HR. 
Wonderful. Thank you for for giving us a little bit of that backdrop. You know, it's it's been a challenging time in history, certainly in the last 18 months or so with the pandemic and all that it's brought. How would you say that your your varied career has prepared you for for today's challenges? I think some of the the roles that I've held, but in particular some of the organizations that I that I worked with. So I, I would say my first full-time job was with an organization that was that's the Easter Seal Society of Ontario. Okay. So at Easter Seals, for those that don't don't know the work that they do, they support children and young adults with physical disabilities and they support through respite programs and camps. So I had an opportunity to start my career in HR, but started an organization that was really making a difference and was really supporting something that that my own personal values could align to. And so that that has helped me as I think back on that first role that I had in HR being around others that were possibly going through difficult times, but still staying resilient. So to say, I, I, I think back on, on those early years in my career and, and having that, that really, I call it a blessing to be able to combine both starting my career in that type of an organization. Very purpose-led, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I followed that in my career after Easter Seals, I went to the Canadian Diabetes Association. And from there, the, as I mentioned earlier, the Hospital for Sick Children and Truly places where purpose led with a very, very specific vision and focus. I mean, at Canadian Diabetes Association, the focus was finding a, a cure for diabetes. And at Sick Kids, it was, you know, healthy children, a better world. We can't really get behind anything much broader and purposeful than that, really. And yes. so, so those, those experiences really helped guide and, and also, I think, develop some of my own resiliency on a personal level. Which, as I say, this past couple of years have definitely drawn on as we've Absolutely. all been going through some difficult times. So, would you say a little more about what it was about those purpose-driven environments that helped you develop resiliency? I'm fascinated by this concept of resilience. Sure. So, sure. anything you could share would be interesting for us. Yeah. So, in particular, sick kids working with the fabulous people that I had the chance to work with. I was in a HR partner role. And some of the departments that I worked with included the cardiac critical care unit, the neonatal intensive care unit, the emergency room. I was also supporting as an HR partner professional services, which would have included social services, dietitians. I had the chance to even support a very important profession at SickKids, which were our therapeutic clowns, which was a great experience oh, to be exposed to that. Yeah. yeah. And so what I learned about resiliency was not only resiliency for those that were having to visit SickKids. It's not a list I'm sure on all in parents go to. You probably don't want to have to visit SickKids, but if you did visit SickKids for whatever reason, it was you knew you were in the right place. And observing that resiliency through working there, I also had the chance to volunteer while I worked there. So I was exposed to that from a patient and family-centered care perspective, but also from the people that I worked with and some of those, those professions, the nurses, dietitians, as I said, those individuals that were dealing with, with supporting children and their families on a daily basis through difficult times, that, that resiliency almost just, again, through uh, soaking it in and, and letting that guide me in some of my decisions and how I treat situations as well. Well, and it's interesting, you know, the the parallel here, you know, you're, you're talking about the frontline healthcare workers, right, who, who are f- confronting life and death situations and real, you know, real difficulty with their patients that they, that they support and care for. And then you flash forward to, you know, the past 
whatever, we're going on two years, you know, of the pandemic and they've been at the forefront again. And it's interesting that 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 admiration you have, I'm sure that carried forward here. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel that your your this resilience, this compassion that you've been able to cultivate through that exposure to to these different purpose-driven organizations and and you know incredible professionals like that. How do you feel that kind of came through for you as a as a tool in your toolbox this past year? I think this past year in particular, there's been situations where both my colleagues at the leadership table, but also employees were reaching out to me as an individual and to members of my team for support related to the pandemic, whether it be navigating a completely new process or protocol whilst balancing their own personal anxiety and stress. So being able to stay resilient through, the, through those times and also show empathy. So also say, saying and making it clear that whatever the person I'm interacting with or trying to support, that they're not alone in how they're feeling. So I tried to very often share a personal experience or a personal feeling I might be having as I walk through supporting, as I said, other a, a fellow colleague or an employee that was reaching out. Yeah, sharing the personal story or, or you know, it, that's such a key part of empathy, right? And I think sometimes that's that's forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to say, it's, oh, it's okay, it's all right, you know, and try to comfort somebody, but really being in it with them and acknowledging what they're feeling and sharing a little bit about yourself, being vulnerable. I think that's really something that's that's that helps people move forward. The the other thing that's coming up for me is I as I listen to you speak and knowing you is you've got quite broad experience really with you know you've got healthcare in there and charities and you've got seniors living that we share and then you've got Walmart you've got a big retailer in there as well so so quite diverse so when you think about you know those different industries what do you notice when comparing them when it comes to how each their approach to HR and talent management it's a great question cuz it it really has guided my approach to HR and having that exposure as you say from different different worlds or different industries and and in particular, Walmart, as you mentioned, a, a retailer, fast pace, great learnings by having the opportunity to work at Walmart, some international exposure as well, which is significant. But one thread that I'd say throughout those organizations is building a strategic partnership through HR. So really moving to being at the table with whether it's a client group or whether it's the executive table and le- learning how, although it's sick kids and at Walmart, I might at sick kids, I maybe I wasn't a clinician, I wasn't a nurse, I wasn't a dietitian, but I tried to do my best to partner with those professionals to be able to offer the best HR support and advice and partnership possible. Same at, at Walmart, you know, I supported the merchandising group and although I wasn't a merchant, I was able to spend some time with the individuals that I was working with to learn about their business, to learn about the areas maybe that that, that was maybe keeping them up at night so that I could focus from an HR perspective accordingly and support accordingly. So it was really not necessarily being a subject matter expert, but being as close to that partnership to offer some strategic HR advice and support. So that's definitely one thread that I've that I've picked up throughout the roles that I've held. Any any key differences beyond that? I guess that building a strategic partnership it sounds like it was well accepted and and needed in each organization. What about any? Were there any key differences? I'd say definitely on how to achieve that level. So in some instances. Some organizations had a different view of perhaps that HR and had more of that transactional view of HR. So the the process to build that rapport and build that level of, of respect and also to add that value 
has been different along the way. And that's the approach I've tried to, to show is, is to show my strategic partners there is value with aligning with HR. There's value with making decisions with HR at the table. And I've tried to do that repeatedly and it definitely differences with how it's accepted and how to build that rapport, but something that has helped me and, and the teams that I've had the privilege to work with and lead as well to make that shift from transactional reactive to more of a proactive partner. I think we can't underestimate the power of the word partner, right? Because t- for me, it evokes this image of working elbow to elbow with somebody. Absolutely. It's not, you know you know, particularly for HR, right? Often you're sort of branded as the HR police or the party planners or this kind of thing. And yeah. and and it, it's so much more than that. And yet there is that potential, you know, distrust, right? Because mm-hmm. the HR is in the middle when there's difficulty, right? When, when you have to confront issues and employee level or organizationally. And so people don't always like that they're the, the ones carrying out certain decisions that have to be made in organizational mm-hmm. life. So it is tricky. So that, that partnership I think it evokes that elbow to elbow, but also there's a degree of trust and uh, an acknowledgement that partners don't always agree on everything, right? If you think about a marriage or, you know, a relationship like that, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So one of the things you said there, so it's this building a strategic partnership through HR. One of the things you do is you get to know enough about what the, the division or the business is all about so that you can speak credibly and earn their trust. What else would you tell our listeners is important when it comes to building a strategic partnership? I think you mentioned trust as well. So building that, tr- that trust, so building a rapport and, and and showing that trust to the individuals that you're working with, both employees, colleagues, and your leaders, and being consistent with that. But I also think critical to that is communication. You know, as I often say to the individuals I work with. And even as you mentioned in the marriage, I often say to my husband, I can't read your mind. You can't read my mind, which means we have to communicate. So if, if we're communicating, we're, uh, result of that communication, that open communication is trust. That's, that's the connection that I see. And the other thing that I learned early in my career, which has helped me throughout is assuming positive intent. So mm-hmm. if I'm trying to build that rapport, trying to build that partnership, trying to build that trust, there might be a situation that maybe something comes up and not quite sure, but rather than go to the, what did the person mean? Is there a second meaning? Is there something to read between the lines? If you have that filter of assuming positive intent, that's another, I'd say, approach that I've tried to, to keep consistent. Yeah, it's so funny. That is such a, a fundamental guideline in, in, in managing any kind of communication, right? Assuming best intent, because it automatically changes our own approach and therefore the impact and the response that we'll get in turn. I think it also allows you to go a bit deeper, right? To to kind of pull the layers off the onion, right? So if you're sort of, if you do notice that thought going through your brain, like, hmm, what are they really getting at, right? Is there <laughs> something else going on? It's to say, you know, I'm not sure, maybe I'm crazy here, but I, I'm getting the sense there might be something else right? that's important yeah. to you here. And then just zip it and be quiet. But it allows you to go there. It's like, take the thought out of your brain and actually say it, right? Yeah. In, a, and, in, a, in, a, in a graceful way, I would say. And in the world of work, it's also ensuring that there's no meeting after the meeting. And that's something else that I try and, and encourage is if, if there's a need to communicate, let's do it together now rather than have pockets of meetings after meetings. This is the space we're going to talk about, or we find another space to do it in, but as long as we're doing it openly. Yeah, it's that idea of transparency. Yeah, it's so key. So 
When you think about your work at at Halton, you're leading HR for an organization that's very progressive and doing some really incredible work. How have you been building that strategic partnership with the different areas of the business? What are some things that are happening for you right now? So Conservation Halton is a, a wonderful organization. We're a conservation authority supporting parts of the Halton region. We have a watershed that spans a few municipalities, including Peel, Pooslich, Hamilton, as well as Halton region, Milton, Oakville. And so it is so diverse, as I often will, will share. I could be speaking to a water resource engineer in the morning, to an ecologist at lunch, and then someone that's come off the ski hill from teaching a toddler how to ski or put skis on for the first time. So it's like Glen like, Eden, yeah. yeah. Glen Eden, exactly. And, and so it's, it's a wonderful organization. And, and what really drives and some of the things that, that I'm excited about is the ability to partner with those that I work with and those members of the leadership team, but also, as I said, those individuals that are driving some of the programs. So our educational programs, our partnerships with the community, our partnerships with our, our local Indigenous groups as well. I mean, all really important work. And one of the things that we have been for- focusing on recently is our work in the equity, diversity, inclusion space. And we just recently went through the first step towards building out a framework. And we did a really, really sort of almost self-assessment, true, true, vulnerable, almost self-assessment of where Conservation Holton is at when it comes to EDI initiatives and programming. And so the next step is to continue that work. It's very important work on a personal level. It's very important work to Conservation Holton as well to ensure that we are reflective and supporting the communities in, in our watershed. So that's that's definitely sort of top of mind when it comes to building that strategic partnership and offering offering something that that is very meaningful. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, equity, diversity and inclusion is really a huge theme right now, right? Organizations are really waking up to the importance and really starting to put more more effort, more thinking, more resources against it. And Conservation Halton, you know, you mentioned like in the partnership with Indigenous communities, that's something you take very seriously. I know there's been some joint ventures and and pop-ups like Nish Dish and so on. Really, really interesting, but you're stewards of that land in many ways. So it's it's wonderful to hear that. So beyond this self-assessment in the framework, what what do you think it, you know, just high level, what might it look like as you move forward in this journey and how might it impact the employees and their experience. So that, as I mentioned, that's the first step. We want to use that assessment to inform some more actionable items. So as I said, building that framework, building that strategy and ensuring that we are investing in our current talent in as it relates to EDI and learning opportunities, but also that we're attracting talent that is going to align with some of the work that we're doing related to EDI and then some more specific actions and programs. So perhaps more broader partnerships, deeper, deeper relationships with some of the partnerships that we, we currently have and are so proud of. And so those are a few few things that we, we hope to to come to fruition. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Well let's let's shift gears a little bit because I know that another really essential project for you in in more the talent side versus the HR side side is around your emerging leaders program. Could you tell us a little bit about the impetus for that and what what you know what were your objectives? Sure. So thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, we're we're proud to have our first cohort of our emerging innovation leaders program. We were able to offer this to some high potential talent within Conservation Halton and in partnership with the DeGroote School of Business, which we're very thankful 
for, we were able to sponsor a group of Conservation Halton employees to embark on a learning journey with Degroot, which included some EQ, some leadership, some business fundamentals. They went through a journey that included customer-centric design and digital transformation, so equity and diversity as well. So some really great programs that that we we wanted to make sure that the, this group of individuals that were invested in, and then they they in turn presented some fabulous capstone projects to us. And so we're excited about our first cohort, uh, excited about the partnership that we established with Degroot, and we're embarking on our, on building out our next learning journey for our next cohort. So definitely something that that I'm proud to be a part of. It was definitely uh, one of the the things that I have to say under the leadership of, of the CEO, Hassan Bassett, who also supported and helped make and identify this as a priority and identify that we wanted to invest in this for our staff. So yeah, it's a, it's an, it's a fabulous opportunity to be a part of building this out. So how long is the program? It's, 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 what's the sort of elapsed time frame for it? The first cohort was privileged to do it through COVID. So it was a little bit different. We started at, at sort of tail end of 2020 and finished earlier this year. It was a approximately six month program. And so this next cohort, we're hoping to be able to blend virtual and in person. So still more to come on that, but it, it was, I have to say, that not only did that group excel when it came to their capstones and all the work that they produced, they also did it within the virtual world, which was very new and, and managed through the pandemic to still really have a successful sexual experience. So how, so how is that learning going to be sustained? Like what will happen with the capstone projects and so on? So we reviewed all the capstones. One of them we actually embarked on to put into practice as this year. And we have two other projects that we will be moving forward as well. So really just applying the learning and applying those the, the capstones as best as possible as we continue throughout the work that we do here at Conservation Halton. Mm, really interesting. I, I, it sounds like a wonderful, wonderfully designed and uh, implemented program. So congratulations on that. So so that's kind of a nice feather in your cap, right? To be able to, to say you've made a real difference in this organization. What would you say over your career has had the biggest impact on your confidence as a talent and HR leader? I think throughout the career, my career, I'd say moments where I've felt my confidence has been impacted on, has been through the leaders that I've had and, and those that have invested in me or have identified my talents and those who have also identified areas that maybe I can develop in and maybe areas that I was a bit too shy or cautious or lacked confidence in or was resistant to put myself in a vulnerable situation, for example. But those leaders really showed that confidence in me to give me those opportunities. So I'd say definitely that's something that that when reflecting back in my career so far, when hearing from a leader to say, you can absolutely lead this team or you can absolutely take on this project or lead this project or this initiative, just having that confidence and trust from my leader has, has really supported that. It's so important, right? The impact leaders can have in terms of lifting us up and seeing us in a way we don't see ourselves. And, you know, something else that you shared with me personally previously is, you know, this, this idea that it's also when leaders walk the talk, when you see them modeling behaviors that you aspire to. And you've talked about that with Hassan previously. Yes, absolutely. So Hassan's leadership and having that em- empathy from my own leader on a number of levels has also influenced my way of leading 
and also Hassan's ability to create. So creating space for those that are on his team, for groups of people to, to really excel and strive for excellence within that space that, that has um, strategically been created through that type of leadership. So definitely thanks for mentioning that. And I know you know Hassan, so it's a great opportunity to share that as well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So when you think about the work you're doing around emerging leaders, there's the EDI perspective, so many different things that you manage on a day-to-day. I mean, there's just the, the talent attraction and, and you know, you're, you're juggling it all. How do you get buy-in, would you say, for the initiatives that you feel are really important? What are the strategies you use for that? A few things that I've that I've tried to do throughout my career is when trying to bring a team along or trying to share value with the leadership team to, to sponsor an initiative or sponsor a project, it would be showing the value of whatever initiative is. So trying to articulate best as possible what that desired outcome would be once a project or initiative was implemented. The other thing that I learned in the role that I held at, at Walmart was the ADCAR model. So change management methodology and the importance of when embarking on change or a project or initiative, sharing that awareness and, and helping to bring the team along, not only to be aware of, of the need or aware of the project initiative, but building that desire. So making sure that, that there's that, that awareness, desire and knowledge around the importance of that project initiative or change. Yeah. You, you've been through ProSci ADCAR training then, right? Yeah. I've had some exposure. I'm not, I'm not prosite, not prosite designated. Okay. Okay. I did go through it and it is fascinating because one one of the things I remember in my certification was around the fact that you can, you know, people can be aware of the need for change. That's kind Mm -hmm. of the first step and they can have the knowledge in the current model. If the desire is not there, the change will not exactly right or you you may have issues getting to sort of that tipping point where you have enough people to make the change happen and they gave the example of of smoking cessation right and how over decades it's taken decades to get to the point where you've most people that don't smoke but there still are some people they just have no desire to stop but you know it they, they had to come at it from so many different angles right from helping people understand the health impacts right and it was the same thing with seatbelts. They used that mm-hmm. example over time, how they had to kind of help paint the picture of why you should desire a safer, healthier future for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? How is maybe change management coming into play for you as you look at, you know, the next year or so coming up for you? I mean, you know, a lot of organizations I work with, certainly they're grappling with the return to office, we're calling it. Not return to work, because people have been working all along, but return to office. Do we, don't we? Is it part-time? You know, so many companies have put a line in the sand and then changed it multiple times, pushed it out. Where are you, mm-hmm. where are you at with that? Similar to others, we, we have embarked on what we're calling office of the future. So when we envision our office of the future, the approach that we've taken, and again, through it's an initiative that is through HR, that we've been leading have taken that change management approach. So we built that awareness. We did an all staff survey just to ask individuals where they were at and what they that what 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 they saw, what they envisioned about coming back to work. And we we did this actually quite a few months ago when we made a conscious decision to delay any opening till January. Because we wanted to make sure that we had the right pace and that we were of course following public guidelines, et cetera, but also taking the time to to communicate so that people can 
have the right amount of time as they focus on that change and that difference. So, so we def that would be one example where we applied a change management methodology in terms of of how we communicated, when we communicated, and making sure that the right detail was included. So, and support and adjustment along the way as well as we approach January, something might come up and we'll have to do the famous pivot, which we're, we've all developed well, I'm sure. Yes. So we might have to pivot again, but we are we're we're definitely building that agility when it comes to the, the COVID pivot. Well, I mean, you just made a direct connection to the ad car model, to that desire piece, the D, right? You know, by yes. checking in with people, what do you yeah. want? What would be comfortable for you? Like trying to understand, we can't please everybody all the time, yet we can acknowledge where they're at. We can take the time, create mm-hmm. the pace, the safety, where they're able to speak up for what they need and then try to meet them halfway. So it really mm-hmm. sounds like you've got a solid, grace, gracious kind of approach is the word that comes to mind yeah. on yeah. this. Yeah, And as I said, willingness to adjust along the way when needed. So. Yeah, I think we often believe we have to be married to our decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if COVID's taught us anything, yeah. certainly it's the need for agility and not to be as afraid of it, right? Just you yeah. know, kind of got to roll with, you don't always have all of the information. So how are we acting on the best with the, how are we, how are we making the best decisions we can with the information we have in hand at this very exactly. moment? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to sort of move us to, you know, we're coming to to an end here. When you think about your years in our field overall, right? You're a seasoned professional leader. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned? Mm, it's a great question. And and it probably would have changed five, 10, 15 years ago. I'm aging myself, but I have been in HR for over 20 years now, but it, it does change depending on what's happening. And I've, I've learned a lot during these past two years and a few things that I would say would be around building that empathy and resiliency as we we kind of started off. It's it helps on a professional level and a personal level, and also helps the people around you. If you're staying resilient and empathetic, if someone's not feeling so great or stressed or is feeling pressure navigating through life, having that empathy and that resiliency could then help them. So I definitely say that's a lesson that I've learned to try and find that space. And if I'm not in the right headspace, to create that space for myself. So taking a moment reflecting on the day, something that, that I've learned through our interaction is, is journaling. So, so jotting some, some thoughts and feelings down to help make sure that you are creating that space and identifying when, when that resiliency and empathy can, can be used to its best ability. So I'd say that's definitely one lesson. And the other is to find the balance. So oftentimes I'll be asked for advice or some leadership tips or insights but balancing that with also creating space for others around me to share insights and share learnings and share their own leadership so that everyone has a voice and that space is, is created in a safe place for those that are around me to also offer their thoughts and feelings and not feel that, that being vulnerable is, is being weak. It's just being, having that voice and sometimes it does make you feel vulnerable perhaps, but it's really to, to, to find the, the, the value in expressing each other's insights and thoughts. Yeah. I found, you know, whenever I, we, we all fear, I remember certainly early in my career, you fear being vulnerable in front of people. And then those moments where you are, it brings people closer, right? They connect mm. to you because that's, that's, that's fundamentally, 
you know, what we have in common as, you know, in, as humans. Yeah, that is connection that is key. And then yeah. the other thing that I try and do with my team now is making sure that there's also space to be a little bit playful and not take ourselves so seriously and have a moment to, to laugh or share a funny gif with each other or a funny YouTube video or the team that I work with now, they have kids and pets. And so we're sharing photos of each other's cute pets and kids. And, and so that's also important, something that I've learned to keep the balance, especially if you're working at a fast pace or working on sensitive issues that might be draining your energies, making sure that you're finding space to be playful and, and find the, the positive and the, and the funny, the funny and the humor in life. Yeah, I think it it does so much, you know, energetically for us. And and I appreciate, you know, you pointing out that when we kind of take care of ourselves, right, give ourselves that space and give it to others, there's a multiplier effect, right? It allows them, it helps others around you. So I think that's such an important reminder. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you here today. Thank you for taking the time out of your really busy schedule. It's It's uh, been a delight. Thank you, Lisa. It's really an honor to to participate and, and always a great time spending any time with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.